Well, let's join together in prayer. Let's pray. Father, we love that hymn and we thank you for the words that are there that uh, speak to us uh, about the, the, the deep love of Jesus uh, for us on the cross. And as we've just been contemplating, as we've read from Matthew's account, just a few verses, everything seemed to be lost. And Jesus' suffering was huge, uh, both physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And Father, he was devastated and bereft and forsaken at that moment. And Father, we pray that as we come to, uh, to talk to you this morning, that we will be aware of the reality of what Jesus went through for us. And that, Father, that we will contemplate, I think, and, and meditate upon the reality uh, of that betrayal that Jesus underwent for us. We thank you that we've been just thinking about that word and what it means. And Father, did ere such love and sorrow meet, and yet we betrayed him. Father, we are ashamed, I think, of our own lack of love for Jesus. We're ashamed of how often we stray in our thought life and in how little we really are committed we're ashamed, Father, that the cross does not fill us as it should do and, and, and really uh, guide us in all that we do. And, Father, yet we know that in that moment as well that we come to you and we unburden ourselves. And we say, Lord, we're sorry. And, Father, we ask you to forgive us. And at this moment, there is forgiveness. Because we cannot stay here, Father, we do not want to stay here. We want to see this curtain torn in two. We want to know that we can walk through it and that we can have access and come with confidence before the throne of God. And Father, we want to realize that even though it's a shocking kind of unknown thing that only Matthew records, that, that these people rose from the dead and walked into Jerusalem. And that's a sign, isn't it, I think, of the reality of what we are promised in Christ, that we will be with Christ, that we will rise from the dead. And Father, that even though we are small in number, and Lord, the world has forgotten, I think, about Good Friday in Ireland at the moment. Uh, people are working, we pray for them today. Uh, Father, people are on holiday. Uh, people are really just not thinking at all about the Lord Jesus. It seems as if his sacrifice is forgotten. But, Father, there are those who believe. And we thank you for the centurion who saw what really happened there. So, Father, open our eyes. Help us to see the truth of what has happened. And, Father, help us to live in the light of what the cross achieved. And so, Father, I pray that you will, as we begin this reflection on Good Friday, help us not to be weighed down by our sin, but to know that there is forgiveness and to know that there is hope and that, Father, that Jesus knew that too. That's what he anticipated. That's what he went for. And we pray and ask that we will see more of that great story today as Joe comes to speak to us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> okay, well, it's Katie and Ross are going to come to go on the big chairs.
Yes, I have to say, it's slightly less terrifying to be on this chair instead of that one. Yeah. Um, so, is it on? Hello. There ah, there we go. Um, so, Ross, if you could just start by introducing yourself, who you are, um, where you come from, why you are here in Dublin. Uh, so, I'm Ross. I'm 21 years old, and you might be able to tell from the accent that I'm from a, a place that I like to call the promised land of Northern Ireland, <laughs> uh, uh, specifically Armagh City. Um, it's a beautiful wee place and it's nice easy life up there, uh, far cry from the big smoke down in Dublin. Uh, so I'm a student at Queen's but I'm down here on a placement year. So I'm working for a reinsurance company and I'm studying actuarial science and I spend most of the time explaining to people what that actually is. but. It's something to do with Mars and insurance and stuff, so <laughs> I, I still don't know myself too much. Um, so why am I down in Dublin? Well, there were just lots of jobs down in Dublin, and I decided to come down here, sort of see how it was. Um, and uh, even though I'm sort of a big, I love Northern Ireland, it was a bit of a push to come down. And uh, I actually have family down here. My granny was uh, born in Dublin, lived in Dublin, and she trained at... Uh, Adelaide Road Hospital, so that's how I ended up here. Um, so my upbringing, I was uh, brought up in like a traditional Northern Irish Christian home in that we voted DUP and went to church on a Sunday, and as far as we were concerned, that's all you needed to do. Outside of that, like we didn't, it was all right if you went out and got drunk on a Saturday night, didn't matter, but as long as you sort of did those two things, you were sweet. Um, but at the same time, I still had a lot of like proper Christian influences as a child growing up. So my childminder in particular, she was a, a good Christian woman, and it always amazed me how like she had such a simple life, but she was always so content with what she had. She was she was like totally run of the mill, but anything that happened to her, she was it was amazing to see her faith in God. Um, and as well as that, my grandparents were also Christian, so I had good influences growing up, but an actual personal connection to my faith. I didn't have. So when did it become personal for you then? So it was sort of around uh, whenever I went to secondary school, uh, at the end of first year, my parents got divorced. And sort of, this was obviously a very hard time for like the whole family and all that. Like um, We still went to church, uh, but my dad, and he sat downstairs and all this, and it was very hard for all of us. Um, and I always found myself like very frustrated with God, like what had I done to deserve this? Like, you know, I'd always been sort of a decent enough kid. Like, if I were to put, like, a scale of, like, good to bad, you know, I'd definitely be down this end. But as, why did this happen to me? Like, I had, I had good grades and all this here. And then I, I found myself, like, in a position where, like, right, I'm going to try and sort myself here. And I'd seen, like, these Christian influences growing up. I thought, you know, they've got themselves sorted, so I'm going to go to SU as well, and this is definitely going to get me sorted right. Um, so I started going to SU as a in school on Fridays. Um, in our school, it was sort of like the cool thing to do anyway, so like it was totally fine, loads of people went. But it didn't really like matter to me what was being said. You know, we, I was just there to show face and to sort of see how to be a better person, a bit of character building. Um, and then I tried to fill my life with other things, such as like sport and friends. And uh, like, I, one thing I always remember like growing up was we, I was big into rugby. 
and at the medallion age, which is like junior cert, uh, we had trained really, really hard for this uh, competition and then ended up getting put out in the second round. Um, we went back into the change rooms after and like some of the guys were crying over getting put out. We weren't any good. We were never going to win it. And like, <laughs> I was just amazed, like, is this all there is to life for us? Like, literally just going out and playing sport on a pitch? Like, is that all there is? Uh, and then I also went to lots of SU weekends as part of like the SU thing because, quite frankly, like, everyone went and lots of girls went, so like, every, you had to go. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but then in one particular at around like the age of 15 or 16, um, we always had these things like you'd, you'd put up like a clothes line and like hang letters on it, and people would put in messages into your, your envelope, and then at the end of the week, you would take them home and read them. And then one week, I, I took mine home and opened it up, and there was the verse, like uh, Proverbs 3, verse 5, um, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. And then in verse 7, it went, I re- kept reading and it says, uh, do not be wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord and shun evil. So like all this time, I've been trying to like figure everything out by myself. Like this is definitely, hard. if I just go to SU, tick these boxes, do all this, I'll be a great person. But I hadn't actually put any faith in the Lord or like tried to learn from the Bible. So I thought, right, I'm going to actually you know, read the Bible here. So I went to the glossary section and like looked up the things like divorce and like all these different topical things that were sort of like troubling me. And I found like all the answers were actually in here. Like it was amazing to me to find like a book of like finite pages had immeasurable knowledge in it. Uh, and that was just, it was really weird for me. Um, but the, and, like it, what that wasn't like a big turning point, but it was like sort of the initiation, I suppose, as this week is. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> from there on, like I realized, you know, I actually had to change myself. Like I had spent all this time like, what what had I done to deserve this? But then I find like, what had Christ done to be <laughs> deserve? What had Christ done to deserve being nailed <laughs> across? Like, it's sort of a, a very stark fact to realize that someone was literally nailed across for you, and here was me worrying about oh, parents were divorced, nightmare. Like, that just really it sort of like blew my mind, and from there I realized you know I actually have to change myself, despite being on like the good end of the scale. That doesn't matter. Like you're either you're either with Christ or you're not, and you have to like make a decision: are you in the boat or not? Yeah, I thought it was interesting the way he says like you tried, you saw the need to change, and so you tried on your own, um, but found actually that only with God and His Word um, could could you find transformation. You, you snuck that word in there. I noticed. Um, so as you have uh, followed Jesus, um, what is one way that you see God transforming you? I think the, the biggest like, uh, transformation I've seen is like the way I see things. It's like you can, you're able to see the good and all the, the bad things in the world. Like for example, a few years ago, my granddad got dementia and uh, it was really hard in the family, like seeing him deteriorate. And I got to see it; we didn't really know who I was. And um, he was a, he was a Christian himself, and he was a Church of Ireland minister. And whenever I went around to see him and stuff, uh, he always like uh, would tell me about Jesus, and I'm like, yeah, it's all right, you know, I know. Um, but like, he, he didn't have a clue how I was, but he always made a point to make sure that he told me, and uh, it just showed me like 
despite like the bad the the bad things that came with the dementia, and, like he eventually died from it. There were beautiful things that came out of it from that, and like I was able to see God's glory manifest through that. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it's amazing how God can actually transform our eyes to see how He sees the world, and yeah, just beautiful how um, He was still able to hold on to the hope of Jesus, even when the rest of his mind was yep. gone. That's amazing. Um, so, yeah, I'm just really thankful that God is continuing to transform the way that you understand. As you said in Proverbs, right, he gives us yeah. new understanding. Yeah. Um, so can we give Ross a round of applause for sharing with us? Yeah, great. Thanks, guys. I love the word we in there. That was good. Everything's we in Northern Ireland, you know, uh, which is great as well. Lovely to uh, to hear the story. And I mean, as I said last night, and I, I suppose I just want to repeat that as well. I mean, these you're just getting little snapshots of these folks and how lovely it would be if we took more time to just chat at this level and to find out more about what God has meant in people's lives and yeah, just to share with one another at that level. So, so thank you, Ross. I hope Armagh win tomorrow. Yeah, um, my nephew played for Ballymena Academy in the school's cup this year, and they got beat by Armagh Royal. So Ross was smiling, but I was meant to be sad. But there we go. <laughs> so um, I just was whenever we were looking across there, I looked at the uh, flowers as well, um, and just want to thank Doris for for that lovely um, sort of. Uh, presentation really of the cross and of the the red of the the blood of Jesus I just think it's wonderful and worth meditating upon so thank you for that again Doris folks we're going to sing and uh, yes we're going to sing the servant keen uh, which is from heaven you came helpless babe it's a beautiful song that really uh, looks through the whole of the life of Jesus and I my favorite line in it and I've, I've always remembered this is the hands that flung stars into space to cruel nails surrendered. Amazing. So let's stand and sing of Jesus. From heaven you came, helpless babe, entered our world, your glory veiled, not to be served, but to serve, and give your life that we Tears, my heavy Lord. 
Yet not my will, but yours, he said. This is our God, the servant king. He calls us not to follow him. To gain our lives as a daily offering of worship to servant king come see his hands and his feet the scars that speak of sacrifice hands that flung stars into space to cruelness Well, just before Joe comes to speak to us, I'm just going to read to you from 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verses 1 to 9. It's not about the cross per se, uh, but it is all about the cross uh, because uh, Paul is encouraging the Corinthians to give as the Macedonian churches had already given to the poor in Jerusalem. Um, but the model that he, uh, the, the reason that he kind of urges them to give is because of how Jesus gave in the cross, um, and uh, yeah, this idea of Jesus' richness becoming poor uh, so that in his poverty we might become rich. That's the theme that's against all this, but the idea is that he wants them to give money uh, for the poor. So 2 Corinthians 8 verse 1, and now brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they were able to give as much, they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then to us, in keeping with God's will. So we urged Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the, the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, 
yet for your sakes he became poor, so that through his poverty, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Amen. And we thank God for his word. Would you looking forward to your third talk on uh, transformation initiated? Morning, everybody. I was just saying there that um, the first morning that you feel a sense of heat <laughs> on the planet. <laughs> It's been so long, hasn't it? You know, previous, we've been blessed with the weather really in February and all that, but it was usually around about lunchtime that you felt a bit of a, oh, that's a little bit of heat, but from about 9, 10 this morning, you were saying, what is that sensation I'm getting? <laughs> and we thank God for it. And thanks, Sam, for doing the, the background to that, that verse there because you saved me a bit of time with doing that. Um, and this is the third talk, um, the theme is transformation, and the necessity was the first aspect we looked at, and then the anticipation was last night, and this morning it's the initiation of transformation. And um, I've tried to approach this, these couple of talks in a way so as not to do the traditional type of Easter talk, but to take it a little bit outside the box. So, so as to try and provoke some, us to think and to meditate and, 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 and to reflect as well. And I've tried to sort of take a story from what we're involved in in Ring's End to sort of, I suppose, to, to anchor this sort of thing in, in sort of a, a mission experience of what we're involved in as well. And so with... Today being Good Friday and all that's going through our minds and all of this, I just want to throw out this thought to you that when it comes to transformation, what is the one great big obstacle? You know, you, you switch on the television and everybody is getting a house makeover. You know, Dermot Bannon is now a rock star. Don't, not that particularly fond of him, but I mean, never met the guy, but I don't think I'd want him anywhere near my house, <laughs> with all due respect. But I mean, it's just ridiculous, you know. Everybody is getting a house makeover. And imagine the bell Dermot coming into your house and saying, we got to take out this wall, and we got to knock down this, and we got to get a wall of glass here and there and whatever. What is the first thing you think of? Go on, say it. Cost. Exactly. You know, what planet is this guy on? <laughs> Ripping out walls. Does he realize what my bank balance is like? <laughs> It's cost and upheaval, which is another aspect of cost as well. Probably bigger for some people. You know, have you ever spoken to people who are saying, that should have been finished by Easter or by Christmas or whatever, and we're still living in a mobile home or we're still with his mother or whatever. You know, the cost of it all. 
the cost of transformation is the one thing that often is the biggest pro prohibition. Take it to another context, operation transformation. If you think getting the house ripped apart, it, you're obese, you know. We're going to shame you on, on national television. What do you like? Look at you. That belly on you has to go. Like, you know, you're ridiculous. You're a disgrace to the human race. And then people begin to think, this is going to cost me. You know, I have to, I have to fess up here and say, I did a diet and lived to tell the tale. About three years ago, um, Sharon got this book, don't ever let your wife get a book like this, uh, called The Eight-Week Blood Sugar Diet. Eight weeks, it sounded so innocent. And then I realized, no potatoes, no rice, no um, pasta, no this, no that, no, no. Ridiculous. And then, as if that wasn't bad enough, a power walk every day. And once a week, a cardiovascular walk as well. Like, you know, I was exhausted just hearing about the thing. That transformation, I did lose two stone. And a back problem I had was sorted out through the exercise. There was an actual transformation, but it was a very substantial cost. Now, let's bring this into our reading. And our theme for this week, transformation. And that's why I chose that reading, which is a little bit unorthodox for a Good Friday, I, I grant you. But I want to try and just sort of journey into that. Though he was rich, yet for our sakes, he became poor. You see, the transformation that was required to nullify the betrayal in the Garden of Eden, the consequences that flowed out from that with the violence and the hatred and the suffering and all that we looked at on Thursday night, all that flowed out from the fall, as theologians would speak about it, the fall of creation, the fall of humanity because of the transgression and the betrayal of our first parents, all that stemmed from that Jesus was, was stepping in to pay the price for that. The transformation that was needed, that is needed, for you and for me to be made right with God, to enjoy the presence of God forever and ever, to enter into His kingdom faultless, without blemish, without stain, for the whole cosmos to have a transformation when the trumpet is, is sounded and the dead will, ri will, will rise. The cost, the price tag associated with that transformation. Can you even begin to imagine? And that's why I chose that verse this morning. But though he was rich, yet for our sakes, he became poor so that we, through his poverty, might be rich. And you could ask the question, how poor did he become? 
Can anybody answer that question? I don't think so. You know, the great hymn of Wesley, "'Tis mystery all, the immortal dies. Who can explore this strange design? You know, this is really holy ground, isn't it? But I want to make this point that, because our theme for this morning is transformation initiated. So if, to take it back to what we were talking about, if you were to say, yes, I'm going to have a, a, a house makeover, a home makeover, whatever, and, and you say that you do have the funds there, and you can pay the price, well, on that basis, then, transformation, the work of initiation begins. You know, the team comes in, and they start turning the place apart. It can only be initiated on the basis that the funds are there. And likewise, if you're saying that I'm going to lose this belly or whatever, I'm going to, I'm going to go through this, it's, you know, are you ready to try, empty the cupboards of all of this stuff? Are you ready to get in all the rabbit food and hamster food and all that that you're going to be eating? Are you ready to carve up your whole calendar around taking your power walks and all this type of stuff? And on that basis now, we'll initiate this. And then to pull it back into the events and what we know as Good Friday. And Jesus in the garden saying, not my will, as we've been just been singing it about a few minutes ago. This great work of transformation was initiated as Jesus began to pay the price, began to embrace this depth of poverty that no human being could ever begin to encompass. The depths of it and the scope of it. And this is such a central theme in the Bible, isn't it, that we read about it in the Old Testament. Hundreds of years before Jesus is born, Isaiah is writing about it in Isaiah 53. Read those verses over, the, over the, this day, this weekend. Hundreds of years before Jesus is born, Jesus, uh, Isaiah is, is writing in the, what the commentators might call the he narrative he was a man of sorrows. He's writing about the suffering servant. And David in Psalm 22 is writing about it again hundreds of years before Jesus was born. But instead of talking about he, he uses the phrase me. He's writing in the first person. All my bones are out of joint. They have pierced my hands and my feet. He's talking about an execution, the crucifixion of Jesus. Hundreds of years before Jesus was even born into this world. We read about it in the Gospels, the narrative, as Sam re re read some of it there from Matthew's Gospel. I'm going to read some of it now. And like, like um, our reading this morning, we read about it in the epistles, especially Paul, reflecting back on the events. Paul's saying, I, I received from the Lord. God gave me revelation about this. This is what Paul is saying. We, we read something from that on Thursday night. On the, the night on which he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread. Paul's saying, I've received this from the Lord by revelation. 
So in the Old Testament and in the Gospels and in the New Testament, we read about this event because it is the central event in the Bible. Because this transformation that was so desperately required since the fall in the Garden of Eden, it could only happen when the price tag was actually, you know, it was, it was prepared to be met. And it could only be met by one person. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm going to read a little bit as well, as I had planned doing, uh, from Matthew 27, verse 45. It's just a little bit about the death of Jesus. Because it's, it's important that we look at that. The death of Jesus. <clears throat> and it says, from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, in verse 45... Darkness came over all the land. And the sixth hour to the ninth hour, in, in our terminology today, is 12 noon until 3 p.m. It came over all the land. The brightest part of the day. The very time when the sun would be at its strongest and fiercest. Not dullness, not mistiness, not fogginess, darkness. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a stick, and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom. The earth shook and the rocks split. The tombs broke open and the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs and after Jesus' resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened. They were terrified and exclaimed, surely he was the Son of God. And that begins to, to show us how this process of transformation was initiated. How the price was put forward. And we're living now, awaiting the full implementation of that transformation. We don't know when God's timetable is going to, a series of events are going to be initiated and human history is going to end. How epic is that? Human history is going to end. And because of what Jesus did on the cross, 
Our eternal salvation has been purchased. The transformation, you know, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, we shall be changed. Our bodies will put on immortality, incorruptibility. We'll be forever with the Lord and enjoying Him forever and enjoying all the fullness of life that Jesus purchased on the cross. We will be transformed absolutely, utterly, totally, and completely beyond our wildest imaginations. And human experience, enjoying God face to face, enjoying everything unblemished, untarnished, everything, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, um, no longer looking through a glass darkly, but face to face. And there'll be no need for faith anymore because faith will give way to sight and there'll be no need for hope because everything we hope for will be exceeded way beyond our wildest belief and we will have the love of God undiluted, untarnished and washing over us in wave after wave of his love. And this is our hope and this is the transformation that we anticipate and we know that it's set and it's secure because Jesus paid the price in full. As, as, as Paul says to those believers in Corinth, though he was rich, and I made reference to it, Colossians 2, but it is Colossians 1, about all things were made by him. All things were made by him. And he sustains all things. And, and you know, try and get a sense of the scope of the richness of being God and then coming and embracing the depths of the poverty of fallen humanity. This is, this is what the cross is all about, this incredible act of divine love and divine provision. It's, it's almost too incredible for words, isn't it? Almost too incredible for words. And, you know, in the Old Testament, Psalm 22, I made reference to it there. The psalmist is writing about this hundreds of years beforehand. And he's writing in the first person as if he is Jesus on the cross. It's quite astonishing. And I'm going to read just a couple of phrases from Psalm 22, verses 14, 15, 16, and 18. And Psalm 22, verse 14, the writer is saying, all of my bones are out of joint. All of my bones are out of joint. You in your mind's eye, or if you're looking at the beautiful little floral arrangement there that Doris made, thinking of Jesus hanging on the cross, what that physical, what that physical experience was like, and how profound it was that hundreds of years beforehand, it's as if the Holy Spirit is sharing this with the psalmist. All of my bones are out of joint. Verse 15, 
My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. Imagine what that physical experience was like. Verse 16, they have pierced my hands and my feet. Verse 18, they cast lots for my garments. And verse 1 of that psalm, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Here's a thought that I would like you to think about, and that is, in Matthew's account that we read just earlier there about the death of Jesus, have you ever thought of this? When Jesus, just before Jesus died, he did not cry out, my bones, my bones are all out of joint. Do you get the point I'm making here? He didn't cry out, my tongue, my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. He didn't cry out, my hands, my feet have been pierced by them. He didn't cry out, my garments, my garments are being divided by them. Do you get the point here? He did cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because we know that the physical suffering, the indignity, the shame, the disgrace, all the physical, all the psychological aspects of what was going on paled into deep insignificance compared to being forsaken by his father. To being forsaken. And with the sky black with darkness, it does paint a picture that is so vivid that touches us to the core of our being. And I trust it touches you to the core of your being. As Sam was saying earlier, and we have to acknowledge, Easter has been so diluted today in our society. But when we draw near to God and when we take time out to reflect on this, we find that it hasn't diluted in God's aspect and will never dilute. Hasn't diluted in terms of what the Holy Spirit wanting to touch our hearts. But you imagine those disciples of Jesus who were there at that moment and who witnessed, because commentators will say, commentators, uh, the highest level of commentators will criticize translators and, and saying that they're, they're diluting what happened. When, when you go back to the original text, where it says, uh, Jesus cried out with a loud voice. The commentators would say, the translators could actually say that Jesus screamed. And they could even say that it could be translated, Jesus shrieked. Do you get this sense of intensity? My God, my God, shrieking it. My God, my God, why have you forsaken? And to get a sense of the depths 
of pain and the depths of sorrow. No wonder Isaiah spoke about a man of sorrow. That, you know, saying Jesus cried in a loud voice is missing the mark so far that it could be Jesus screamed and shrieked in a loud voice. That's very traumatic. And imagine the disciples that would have been there. Or you know the way people talk about things. I'm thinking about the two on the road to Emmaus. How incredible, you know, a couple of, a week later, Jesus is walking alongside. It's incredible how that happened. And they're saying, explaining to Jesus what had happened. And they're saying that, you know, have you not heard, where have you been? They handed him over to be crucified. And then they say, but we had hoped he would be the one to redeem Israel. That all that happened from that moment on that cross, that people just lost all sense of any hope that anything good could, could happen there. It was like it was great when he was healing the sick and he was raising the dead and he was feeding the multitude. And oh, this is going brilliantly. We can see all this happening. And then this death, shrieking. Oh my goodness, it's all, oh, that's it. Somebody switched the light off, like, you know, this is a disaster. And those phrases, that phrase, we had hoped that he would be the one, and they don't realize they're standing talking to the risen Jesus Christ. I just want to take this quickly to another context here. Anybody watch Blue Planet 2? No? Yeah? Well, where is this going, you might say? Go with me on this. Blue Planet 2, episode 2. At the beginning, David Attenborough is deciding if we go to the bleakest, most desolate place on the planet and see if we can find life. So they head down to the Antarctic Ocean. And their objective is to go to the ver as close as they possibly can to the South Pole. The reason they picked there, I suppose, because the North Pole, it was winter. You know the way it's always either one or the other. So the time they were going, they only had one option. No point in going north because it's so frozen. So they go to the South Pole, and they get as close as they can to the pole itself. And they want to go to the bottom of the... Of the, of the ocean. That's their job. To see if there's anything there. I thought this was incredible, I have to say. And I was watching it. And so they get their little pod. They get, have all their ships and their helicopters and all the... It's like an, an armada. And they get this little pod. And there's so many icebergs colliding and boulders falling. When icebergs collide, boulders break off. And any one of those boulders could demolish their little pod. They have to go under a massive big ice sheet and then get up as close as they can. And then they're going down, down, down till they hit the very bottom. And all of this is just to see 
if there's any life there. In the bleakest, most desolate, barren part of the planet. And so they get down, and it's complete ink black, and they switch the lights on. And I'll never forget his description. We found life in unimaginable abundance. Can you believe that? In the bleakest, most barren, desolate part of the planet. They went down, complete darkness. Once they switched the lights on, not just life, life in unimaginable abundance. And he said, the great trans-global currents take this life as far as the Galapagos Islands on one side and as far as this and that side. And that's why there's massive shoals of fish in this part, because this larder here is actually feeding half of the planet. Now, forgive me for that little detour, but I would like to take you back to the cross now. For the disciples, like the two on the road to Emmaus, what they witnessed at that cross was the bleakest, most desolate, barren outcome that they could have imagined for the life and ministry of Jesus Christ, wasn't it? See the parallel here? Absolutely. I mean, if you were standing above ground at the North Pole, no indication of anything. Going down, no indication. Only when the lights are switched on do you realize what you're dealing with. And for those two on the road to Emmaus, the lights were switched on when he broke bread. And then he just disappeared. Do you get the point I'm making here? Though he was rich, yet for our sakes, he became poor. So that we, through his poverty, might be rich. And I asked the question earlier, how poor did he become? We'll never know. But... I've got to turn that question around to you. How rich are you today because of the cross? You could say potentially, or you could say experientially. How rich are you? I do want to tell a very quick story, and it's only going to take a couple of minutes, because I, I want to embed this in, in everyday life today. And forgive me for talking about myself again, but I'm trying to use our experiences in Ring's End. In our cafe that we have, a lot of people come in, and I saw this lady, I won't, I'll give her a false name just for the sake of it, because let's say Pauline is in, and she's in with her friend Miriam. And I know, I went to school with Pauline's brothers, and she went to school with my sisters. We all grew up in the flats and all that. And Pauline's the administrator of the local chapel. And she prepares all the children for First Communion and Confirmation and all this type of stuff. And um, so Pauline was in and chatting and that sort of stuff. And I was chatting to her about the senior citizens group needed a gardening job done. And I said, I'll get volunteers to do that. I, you know, I heard about that. And I can organize a team of volunteers to do that. And it wasn't a big deal and so forth and so on. And then 
she was paying for, she had scone, a cup of coffee or whatever with her friend. It was a mid-morning thing. And she was going out. I said, oh, I'm going out to the car. I'll walk out that way with you. So we're walking out towards the street. And she said to me, do you mind if I ask you a question? I said, no. Are you all right? I thought she had a you know, problem or whatever. And she sort of leaned into me and she said, are you a secret millionaire? And I wanted to say, that's the most ridiculous thing I have ever heard. Are you a secret millionaire? But I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but I, I just can't explain it, but I just felt as if the Lord was saying to me, go with me on this. And inexplicably, I sort of suspended my own whatever you want to call it, incredulity, I think they would call it. I could think of another word that isn't probably as suitable. And um, I said to her, and my heart was beating in my chest because this could go horribly wrong. I said to her, yes, I am a secret millionaire. And she said, you know, I knew, yeah. <laughs> was it the lotto? She said to me. And I said, no, it wasn't a lotto. I said, why are you asking me, am I a secret millionaire? And she said, well, people talk, you know. And people say, that fellow must be a secret millionaire. Or his wife must have money, you know, this type of stuff. I mean, they took over that old mission hall. It was a wreck, it was a disaster. And now it's all done up. And, and they give thousands to the third world. And then somebody rings them and said, oh, we need our youth centre painted, and they arrive with painting volunteers, and they don't, don't ask for money. And now you're saying, like, you know, we can, we can organise volunteers, and we can do a garden makeover for the Senior Citizens Project. And she said, people, people are convinced that you're a secret millionaire. And you might remember on Thursday night, I shared about how when we first took over that mission hall, local community activists said, we'll see that you're not going to get any funding. See the point? Transformation. And with Paul saying that we, through his poverty, might be rich. Now, I spoke to that woman, Pauline, and I said to her, I'm a secret millionaire, not because of the lotto. I said, I'm, I'm spending my father's inheritance. And she lift, pulled her head back. I, I just knew... You know when you know, it's going right. <laughs> this is not going to blow up in my face. It's going right. I think God is in this. And he said, you're, you're spending your father. Your father died when he was only in his 40s, left your poor mother a widow without two halfpennies to rub together. What are you talking about spending your father's inheritance? And I said, Pauline, look at me. I said, I'm spending my father's inheritance. I said, that's why I'm, I'm a secret millionaire. And she put her hand to her mouth and she said, I, th I think that's the most beautiful thing I've ever heard. And how else can we explain it? And the challenge for us is to, yes, absolutely focus on the price that he paid and the depths of the pain and the anguish. But let that work two ways. By saying... You know, with, with, with what Paul says in Corinthians, so that we, through his poverty, might be rich. 
What does that look like for me today? How do I appropriate that in my life as a child of God today? And that's a challenge, isn't it? Um, you know, I've, time has just raced on and I've gone a little bit over. I apologize, but I, I wanted to bring these things, these thoughts to you to provoke you to think and to reflect. And today, as we, as we do think quite rightly so of the price that he paid, we also need to think and say, so that we, because Paul could have easily ended it there and say, though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor, full stop. But there isn't a full stop there. It's so that we, through his poverty, might be rich. And is that, as somebody like Karl Marx would have said, uh, pie in the sky for when you die. No, it's not. It's not for, for that. It's not just for, you know, so when you die, you, that's when you'll become rich. Isn't it for today? Isn't it for now? Isn't it to see this transformation leaking into our present day experience? and us living as agents of transformation for the glory of God. So let's reflect upon some of those things today, and I trust God may have spoken to you. Thanks, Sam. Talk to God now in prayer. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this reflection uh, that Joe has given us, and uh, Lord, as we have finished, let's just continue to reflect on how rich we've become, uh, that we are uh, no longer in poverty over our sin, uh, but that we are filled with his presence through the Holy Spirit, that we have the fruit of the Spirit, that we have the gifts of the Spirit, that we have each other in community. We are a family. Uh, we thank you, Father, that we've got hope uh, of resurrection, that even though we see death in our lives through our, our aging, through uh, illness, even yesterday as we buried uh, one of our members, Father, we have hope because of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. We are rich in Christ. And Father, though the world may ignore us, though uh, Jesus is forgotten about. Uh, Father, this treasure is real. As Paul spoke earlier in this letter, the treasure in jars of clay. So, Father, I, I thank you for that reflection. I thank you that it, it all cost Jesus so that we could have it. And, Father, help us to live it. Help us to know it and help us to rejoice in it. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, folks, we're going to finish by singing the power of the cross. And as you see there, it says, Oh, to see the dawn of the darkest day. And there's a line in there that says, Oh, to see my name written in your wounds. So let's stand to sing. Oh, to see the dawn of the darkest day.
Christ on the road to Calvary, tried by sinful men, torn and beaten then, nailed to a cross of wood. This the power of the cross, Christ became sin for us, took the blame for the wrath we stand forgiven at the cross. to see the pain written on your face bearing the awesome weight of sin every bitter thought every evil deed crowning your blood-stained brow this the daylight flees now the ground beneath quakes as its maker bows his head curtain torn in two dead are raised to life finished the victory cry this the see my name written in the wounds for through your suffering I am free death is crushed to death life is mine to live one through your selfless love this the power cross son of god slain for us what a love what a cost we stand forgiven at the cross May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ 
and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Uh, Tommy has reminded me that we have fridge magnets.